Good morning, everyone. Kevin here from Skywatcher. Welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. It is Friday, February 17th, 2023. Uh, so thanks for hanging out. Hanging out. Jesus. Hanging out with us this morning. Um, hope you had a good week and having a good start to your weekend. It's a little cloudy and windy here today. But, um, yeah, so thanks for being here um here at the what's up webcast we talk about everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks on visual and imaging and of course at the end of the month we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy so we try to cover the gamut uh here if you like what you see here at the what's up webcast please go ahead and leave a like on this video or any of our videos and if you really like it go ahead and subscribe it lets us know we're doing a good job um i think we just broke 8,000 subscribers so thank you to all 8,000 of you um who have been a part of it uh let's try to get it to 10,000 and see what happens um but uh, we do appreciate all of you hanging out with us on fridays it's a lot of fun um if you have any ideas for a future What's Up webcast episode, please go ahead and email us at uh, info at skywatcherusa.com. Title it What's Up and let us know your ideas for a future episode. So today we're kind of changing up a little bit. We're going to do intro to meteorites. Um, for those of you who know me, I am quite interested in meteorites. I have a pretty decent collection of rocks that I lug around. Um, but... The reason I started getting into meteorites a long time ago was, well, first I thought they were cool. Anything space-related is cool and fun. Um, so I started acquiring pieces, and I started bringing them out to my outreach events, and I found that it really closed uh, the circle quite a bit for people. They could look through the telescope, and they could see space. Then you hand them a meteorite, and they get to touch and feel space. Um, and it really came a long way. So I kind of expanded on that. Um, to where I have my displays that I have. I think I have some pictures of it in this presentation uh, today. Um, but anyway, if you're ever in Arizona and you're at one of my events, you'll probably see the meteorite displays that get lugged out with that too. But um, I've done this talk before for colleges and I have done this for um, other um, astronomy clubs and programs and it usually goes pretty well. So this is basically intro to meteorites. Um, and just how to get started, understand what the different types are. Um, I am in no way a professional when it comes to understanding everything there is about meteorites. There are people that know vastly more than I do. Um, but this is just what I've scraped together over the years. Um, and hopefully it, it's something interesting to you. So, of course, today what we're really going to be talking about is, you know, rocks and stuff. That's, that is pretty much what we're doing today. Um, ultimately, we're talking about meteorites. So, a long, long time ago in our galaxy, um, our solar system looked like this. We basically had these, we were a nebula floating out in space. Eventually, that nebula started to condense down and make little globules of material, these protostars, um, if you will. That's what this is, deep down in a nebula from the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, and eventually as that material comes back down, it starts to make a star. And once the star is created, it starts what's called an accretion disk, which is where all that material starts swinging around the central star of that area. And these little, the dust starts to condense down, making little glassy spherical pieces of material that start condensing, making bigger and bigger and bigger pieces. Um, now, those glassy little spherical pieces I'm referring to are called chondrules, um, and they look a lot like this. Uh, chondrules are little tiny pieces of rock and material um, that basically compose up a lot of what are now known as stony meteorites, and there are several types of them. We'll try to break that apart uh, today, but this one right here is called a chondrite uh, because of the large amount of chondrules. Um, that actually make up the meteorite itself. And that's kind of what the cool thing about meteorites is, is it's kind of a snapshot of what our solar system looked like millions of years ago, because um, a lot of this material hasn't changed in its time and its existence. So the cool thing about meteorites is it does give us kind of a, 
a close-up of what things are like in various bodies in the solar system and more of how our planet or the planets uh, were created. And it gives us just some insight and helps us understand the creation of other solar systems, especially now with being a big scientific study being exoplanets. Um, so the study of meteorites can help uh, drive several different regions of science. It's also something that's just cool to collect. So there are different types of meteorites, just like telescopes, there are different types. Um, understanding the different types of meteorites, um, they all have different characteristics, which makes them very neat. Um, and there's various uh, characteristics of each one. Now, I will say there are three major types. And then within those types, there are several subclassifications of each of the three main types. Um, we could probably do a presentation all day about the various types. So I'm just going to kind of keep it to the basics. Uh, if this is of interest to you, there's plenty of information online to start digging through it. That's kind of what I had to do. Um, but it's kind of fun to sit and understand some of this uh, stuff. So the most abundant of all the meteorite types are stone meteorites. And the subclassification that's the most common is the chondrites. Um, chondrite meteorites are basically like I showed you before. They're meteorites that are they're stone meteorites that are composed of those spherical crystals known as chondrules. Um, these have undergone very little change since they were formed in the early solar system. And in meteorites, there's a, there's a couple different categories. There's obviously the meteorite find, like if you find a meteorite, what type it is. And then there's also the witnessed falls. So you can find a meteorite, but no one may have witnessed it falling. Um, however, meteorites that are found and also witnessed um, tend to be more interesting. People like that the story is there. Um, so if it's a what we call a witnessed fall where someone saw it or was caught on film or whatever, um, like the one back in 2013 uh, that hit Russia, which is called Chelyabinsk, um, that was a witnessed fall. And there's been a couple recently that have been witnessed. But if it's a witnessed fall, those meteorites tend to cost more um, when you go to buy them because there's more to the story. Um, so with that being said, chondrites account for 94% of all the witnessed falls. So if you see a big old shooting star falling through the atmosphere, burning up, as I like to joke, like a small child's hopes and dreams, it gets the uh, college kids laughing at least. Um, that's probably a chondrite meteorite, probably a stone chondrite meteorite is what you're seeing. Anything beyond that, you have 6% of the other witness falls account for the other types. So it's kind of a rare thing for it not to be a type of stone meteorite. Um, so 94% of witness falls are stones, uh, particularly the chondrites. Now, 86% of the amount of meteorite found on Earth is also a chondrite. So these are the most common, the most abundant. Um, if you were to ever find and be lucky enough to find a meteorite, it's likely going to be a chondrite meteorite. Now there are several different classifications of chondrites depending on what's in it and how um, that's what the classification is, how, how dense the chondrules are. Um, there are also amino acids and organic compounds that can be found in meteorites, which make them very interesting. Um, so uh, like the piece that you see here on the screen, most of these pieces are pieces that are in my collection. Um, and I think only one in this uh, presentation are, is something I don't have. Um, and real quick there, the picture there, you see the meteorite piece and you see a little one centimeter cube. Uh, that's pretty common in the world of meteorites. If you're buying meteorites or any of that, generally the one centimeter cube is there for scale. So it kind of shows you how large the sample that you're buying is, or at least gives you some kind of size in comparison to see how it is. So uh, the, the piece that you see here is called Murchison. Uh, which is one of the most studied meteorites on Earth. It landed in Australia, and it is a, what's called a carbonaceous chondrite. Uh, these particular meteorites have the amino acids and organic compounds in them, 
and are generally fairly sought after, especially the scientific community, because it tells us a lot of different things about how life may have formed here on Earth. Um, and it starts the conversation of genetics and a lot of things like that. They're actually relatively interesting. Um, so this is a this particular one called a carbonaceous chondrite um, is a subclass of the chondrites. Um, but Murchison, like you see here, is uh, one of the most studied because it contains some of the most it's some of the most abundant in amino acids and organic compounds out of all the meteorites uh, found. There are other ones that are in this classification as well, but this one is uh, highly sought after. And right now it's very difficult to find Murchison on the market anymore um, if you're buying meteorites. Um, I had to jump through some hoops and I think I caught it right at the end because um, I've owned this piece for, geez, eight years maybe, maybe not quite that, a while. But it was it was hard to find several years ago and now it's almost impossible to find a piece of Murchison at this point. Um, but that's Murchison there. It's one of the most studied meteorites on Earth, um, and that is a carbonaceous chondrite. You can see some of the chondrules in there, uh, but it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, but it is an example of a, uh, a chondrite meteorite. Now, another type of stone. So there are two major classes of stone meteorite, chondrite and achondrites. Chondrites have the little glassy spheres. Achondrites don't. They look more like gravel. Now... Um, the nice thing about chondrites, if you're actually finding them out in the world, they generally contain some amount of metal, um, particularly iron, um, in them. So if you're actually out looking, you can use a metal detector, especially if you have a piece already, you can tune your metal detector to how much iron is on that particular meteorite. And if you're in what's called the strewn field, the strewn field is the impact area, um, that a meteorite hits so that's the field that you would go find it um, you can generally use a metal detector to kind of scan the ground looking for pieces now the problem with achondrites is they have very little metal in them so it makes it very difficult to use a metal detector to help find them so you really have to know what you're looking for um, so uh, Achondrites have undergone crazy amount of change. These generally occur or um, originate from a larger celestial body, like a very large planetoid or a moon or something like that. Um, they've gone major impacts. They've gone through melting. The material that makes them up has been through some stuff. Uh, so it's not like the chondrites. Chondrites have kind of just sat there and hung out in space just hanging out. An achondrite has kind of been through hell and back. So, um, like I said, these are usually from celestial bodies like the planets or the moon, um, and they are very rare uh, to find them. They're also very difficult to find because they don't have that uh, metal, uh, high, higher amount of metal in them. So if you're out in the field looking for them, it's way harder to find them. Now, this particular piece here, another piece that's in one of my displays that I bring to schools, this is called Los Angeles. Um, this is a Martian meteorite. So this is from Mars, blasted off the surface of Mars and landed here. Um, Los Angeles I um, is actually a pretty rare piece to find. Uh, Martian meteorites are usually pretty difficult to obtain. They are out there. They can be a little spendy because there's not a lot of material. Um, I had the good fortune of meeting the gentleman who found the Los Angeles meteorite um, at Julian Starfest in California several years ago. I had a little tiny Mars piece and then I met him and he was gracious enough to make a deal on, on this larger piece. It's still very, it's less than a centimeter square, so it's still a small piece, but it's cool to have this. Um, if you ever have a chance to see my meteorite displays, they're basically designed to be like a mobile museum for meteorites where you can see a whole selection of different ones from all over the world and all the various types. But I try to make them relevant. So if you're doing astronomy outreach and you want to start bringing meteorites out, um, first off, you want to keep track that your pieces are not going to run off. That's the reason I have my cases because I don't want them running off anywhere. 
Luckily, I haven't lost one, knock on wood. Um, but I try to make sure that the meteorites that are shown, and if you want to do this too, I, I, this is what I have found to be best, is they in some way are relevant or exciting to the general public, like the Murchison meteorite we just saw. That one's cool because it has amino acids in it. You can talk about genetics. You could brings up the whole where life started on Earth conversation. It's interesting. Um, Los Angeles. It, Los Angeles is a big city. So that immediately sparks interest of why is there a meteorite named Los Angeles? And then to find out that's from Mars. You know, just little tidbits like that kind of draw people in. And inside my cases, I have little business card sized cards that just have a little tiny paragraph kind of describing the cool things about the various meteorite sample that it's shown. And it works. Um, people get a big kick out of it. It's just another thing that I've added for an outreach event where you get to see the telescopes and then you get to see pieces from space too. It's kind of neat. Um, so if you want to start getting into meteorite collecting, you can do it on your own, of course. But if you want to get out and go share it with the general public, Get some pieces that are kind of interesting. They have a little bit of a story behind them. So every every meteorite's going to have something like that, but some are better than others that just kind of spark the interest at that point, like Los Angeles. Why is it called Los Angeles? Oh, it's a Martian meteorite. How do we get it from Mars? You know, blah, 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 blah. Stuff like that. Make it interesting. Uh, the next one is iron meteorites. Now, when this is our the second type, so we have stone meteorites and we have iron meteorites, and then there's the third classification that we'll get into after that. Iron meteorites make up only five percent of the witnessed falls, um, so there's only about two percent left. Um, these are obviously composed of iron. Um, they're quite heavy and dense, like some people, um, but What's cool about uh, iron meteorites is they're kind of what you think about when you think of a meteorite. This metallic-y looking thing that landed from space. You know, it's kind of a cool thing. Um, these generally come from the core of a large celestial body or asteroid in comparison to, say, stone meteorites, which come from the outer crust of a celestial body. So um, you have the outer layers, which is the rock surface and then you have the inner core which is mostly iron that's where these iron meteorites originate from um, they're very dense they're very heavy for their size and generally they contain a very unique pattern now the picture you see here this is my largest meteorite sample this is a campo del cielo meteorite from argentina um, these are no longer um, exported from Argentina. I think they made it illegal. So whatever material is out in the world is all the material there's going to be. Now it is really abundant, um, but the price has definitely gone up. And the bigger the piece is, you know, the cooler it is. Um, I have this piece. Oh God. Right here. Here's my piece. This is the uh, picture or piece in the picture. This is a 17 and a half pound piece of uh, Campo del Cielo, which is very is a very big piece. Um, Campos are very, like I said, they're very abundant, but the price has gone up. Um, if you want one, the, the reason I have this large of a piece is because I wanted to give people some kind of scale. Like when you pick up a little piece, like a little crystal of Campo, it's it's dense. You can feel it. It attracts to a magnet. You know, it's kind of fun to play with, but I wanted a bigger one to really get the point across. Now, this is the largest piece in the collection. I do have a smaller, like, baseball-sized Campo, which was my first, like, big piece. And that one's nice because, like I said, it's about the size of a baseball. It's like five pounds. I can easily put it in a little bag, and I can tote that out of the field and let people hold it. This particular one doesn't come out that often. When COVID hit, the hands-on samples that I have kind of got stowed and just let the cases do it because the cases, everything is sealed. It's lit. You can't touch anything. It just, I didn't want to be dealing with that. So the hands-on pieces that I have don't come out that often anymore, but this is the big one. Um, but yeah, 17 and a half pound iron meteorite is quite striking um, because when you see, or anything about this size, 
when you see it in person, you know, you can kind of envision a rock of said size isn't going to be that big or that heavy. So you're kind of thrown off when you see this sitting on the table and you pick it up and it's like, whoa, um, it's very heavy. It's very dense. I have magnets attached to it most of the time. So you can see that the magnets get pulled to the iron. It's just a fun thing to play with. Um, but Campo meteorites are very abundant. So it's usually a nice piece to go after. But um, I bought this several years ago, um, 2015 or something like that at this point, maybe a little earlier than that. And that's when you could still get them. So the price of something like this, though pricey for what it was, is nowhere near what they are now, which I had someone offer to buy this from me for some other event um, this past year. And I was blown away with where the price went. Um, so, and how much it's um, grown over the years. So, but iron meteorites are very cool. They're you know, if you had to pick one that type that you're going to show, I would probably pick an iron meteorite. Now, inside of an iron meteorite, at least most of them, um, you had what's called the Vidmanstaten pattern, which is this woven crystalline structure that sits inside of an iron meteorite. Uh, generally, the way you cut a meteorite is with a diamond uh, wire saw. Um, it takes a long process, but generally you go ahead and cut it through there. Um, and it's a slow process. But inside the iron, you have this crystalline uh, structure, and that's called the Vidmanstaten pattern. Now, this pattern um, that is inside there um, only occurs in zero gravity. This is when the metals are cooling over millions of years in zero gravity. And it takes usually one degree per million years, roughly, to form this pattern by cooling and the thicker the lines or the thicker the crystal pattern is the longer it took to cool um, now there are eight different types of patterns in the vidman statin patterns um, depending on what type it is if the lines are fine if they're large or they're in the middle whatever it is there's different types you can read about them um, it just depends on what it is now this one there's a piece of uh, simchin meteorite this is from russia uh, Simchin is actually part of the third classification that we're going to talk about in just a second. But there are pieces of it, like this one, which are mostly iron as opposed to the other ones that have some of the stone material inside of it. But we'll get that in a little bit. Simchin is pretty abundant. It's a nice meteorite. Um, I've seen jewelry made out of it and all kinds of stuff. So it's pretty interesting material. And before we... I'm going to talk about some of this stuff in a little bit. There's a couple of points I want to make that I've learned the hard way about. Um, there's a question. Any idea how big was the Campo Meteor that yours came from or how big it's crater? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Mine is a full piece. Um, it wasn't cut from something. It It's a what we call an individual. Um, now, you can get meteorites in different types, like the one on – or. And different, you can get different pieces of meteorite differently. So there's what we call individuals. Individuals are basically they found it and that's it. It's its own individual rock, if you will, um, as opposed to like a slice. Um, now, like what you see here on the screen there, that's a slice of uh, uh, Simchin. It's not the full individual. They had an individual. They put it under the saw, they sliced it up, and they sold it as slices. Um, so if you're buying pieces, there are different types that you can get. You can get like an end cut. End cuts are pretty cool because you see the outside of the meteorite plus the inside. You can have a slice like this one, or you can have an individual. Um, it just depends on what you're looking for. Um, individuals are cool because it's its own self-contained thing. It, it's like an original um, but the unfortunate part is you can't see the inside of it. So it depends on what you want. So for me, I have the large Campo that usually sits outside the case. And then inside one of my cases is a big old slice of Campo. So you can see an individual. And then inside the display cases that I lug around is a slice. So you can see the inside of the Vidman statin pattern and all that inside the Campo. Um, 
So it depends on what you want to do. I like having both, but that's because I'm just talking from an education standpoint and showing people the differences. Um, the last major type. So we have stone, we have iron, and of course, just like everything else in space and astronomy, we get really creative on what we name things. The mix of the two is called a stony iron. Who would have guessed? Um, stony irons are the rarest of the three types. They're composed of 50% iron, 50% silicate. Um, and there are two main types. There's palisite and what's called a mesosiderite. Now, palisites, um, I think are the prettiest of all the meteorites. And most people would agree with that. Um, so a palisite is a piece of material that comes from the core mantle boundary of an asteroid or celestial body that sits between the silicate crust and the iron core. And in between there, you have those two materials mixing up in there, giving you this kind of material. Now, most palisites contain these crystals, and the crystals are olivine, which is known as peridot. Um, uh, in meteorites, they're generally more yellow. Um, then peridot, which here on Earth is more green. Um, and when these are sliced nice and thin, they really look like celestial stained glass. Um, they're very, very striking uh, pieces of material. A lot of times you will find palisite in slices because everyone wants to see the gemstones. It's a little harder to find an individual in a, pa a palisite individual uh, because you can't, you can see the stones coming out, but you don't get to see them backlit like this. And a lot of people like seeing them backlit. Now, I believe it says 61 here. Uh, there's a newer one that landed a few years ago called Saracho, which is pretty abundant. Uh, so I think we're up to 62, 63 falls uh, for palisites. Um, they're still the rarer of the three types of the stony irons are the rarer of the three. But um, palisites are probably the most popular amongst collectors just because they look awesome um another one which is the other side of iron meteorites is called a mesosiderite uh these are a stony iron and these have kind of like an achondrite have been through a crazy planetary sized impact you know two major bodies you know colliding with each other and mixing iron material with silicates and then you get this crazy stuff like you see here, and that's called a mesosiderite meteorite, which is a stony iron type. Um, this particular one, I don't own this particular slice. I have a piece of one that's very similar. This is called Timbuktu. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people want to know why you have all these names. Um, you know, like the big uh, crater here in Arizona, um, the meteorite that caused that, that's called Canyon Diablo. Then we have Campo del Cielo in Argentina. We have Gold Basin up in northern Arizona. We have Timbuktu, uh, which is out, I think, in the Philippines somewhere. Um, there's a lot of stuff from Russia because Russia is very large and abundant in landmass. Um, so the way you get these crazy names is it's normally named for the nearest town or postal area nearest to the impact or strewn field. Uh, for the meteorite. You can't go out and just find one and name it whatever you want. If you report that, it's going to be like, no, this is not Billy's meteorite. This is whatever the local region is. That's how it gets its official name. Um, so yeah. Uh, so the three types, you have stone, iron, and stony iron. Now, one thing I would pay attention to, especially if you want to start collecting meteorites, and this is very uh, specific towards the iron and stony irons, is you want to get what's called a stable meteorite. Now, there are types of meteorites out there, because you have to remember, these are very pure iron and nickel meteorites that they can rust. Meteorites can rust. And some are better and more stable than others, especially if you're going to be handing these out, letting people handle them, especially without gloves. Uh, there are certain ones that are just not good for that environment. Um, one of those, especially about if you're getting into palisite meteorites, one of the easiest ones to get a hold of is called Brenham. 
which I believe is from Kansas, somewhere in the middle of the United States. Uh, Brenham is the name of that meteorite. It's a very nice looking piece of material. Um, it is a palisite, so it's got the pretty crystals, but that stuff falls apart like that. It's not stable and it just disintegrates. So you're going to spend a nice chunk of money on this piece. It's going to fall apart. Um, my piece completely disintegrated. Um, so I don't have a piece of Brenham anymore. Um, and obviously the more stable the meteorite, particularly the palisites are, the more money they're going to cost. So like if you want good palisites, uh, Fukang is like top of the list is big crystals. Um, very impressive, very stable. So you have Fukang, you have, uh, Imalac. Imalac is a stunning piece of palisite, which is what this is. Uh, oh, that's Brahin. I'm sorry. Brahin is from Russia. This is another one that's very stable and you can get in big pieces. So Brahin is very good. Um, Admire, which is from Kansas. If you ever watched Meteorite Men, I think it was their, their pilot episode. Um, the Alpha site, I think is what they called it. That is the Admire meteorite. I have a pretty decent slice of that in the cases. Um, Admire is very stable generally. Uh, Brahin, like this guy is stable. Um, Simchin, which we saw earlier, which has gemstones like this is stable. Um, so if you're looking for palisites and you're going to be buying from someone and you're new, Make sure you're asking which meteorites are stable. It's the same thing with iron meteorites. Iron meteorites will rust. Um, so you just want to pay attention to that. Campo is very stable. Uh, Munyalusta is another one that's very stable. Uh, Gibeon from Australia. Or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, Gibeon's from Australia. Henenberry, which is from Australia, is pretty good. Um, most irons are pretty stable, but you just want to pay attention. Okay, so how do they get here? Um, I'm sure some of you noticed or know this already. So there's various stages of how they get here. Number one, um, it's three stages. So when it's floating out in space with the possibility of running into a larger body like Earth, you have a meteoroid. When it finally enters the atmosphere and it's flying in and burning up, or at least heating up in the atmosphere, that's a meteor. And only if it hits the ground, only if it hits the ground, is it a meteorite? If it just burns up, it's, it stops at meteor and that's the last stage. But if it actually gets to the ground, it's a meteorite. Um, if it's a piece of trash that you just found out in the desert with your metal detector, it's a meteor wrong. It's a stupid joke, but it's still the same thing. Um, so those are the three stages. Meteoroid floating out in space, meteor flying through the air, meteorite on the ground. Uh, some characteristics, particularly um, most meteorites contain some amount of iron and nickel, so they're attracted to magnets. So, and the better the magnet and the stronger the magnet, the more pull it's got, so you can actually check it. So most meteorite hunters, when they're actually looking for meteorites in the desert or wherever they're at, are going to be using what's called a rare earth or neodymium magnet. You can get these pretty strong. Um, you want to be careful with them too, because if you get two big ones that are close together, they will snap and they can make you bleed and all that stuff. So um, you want to be careful with these really strong magnets. But uh, testing it out in the field, if it's if it's attracted to a magnet, is an indication it could be a meteorite. Now there is a bunch of crap out in the world, like slag and all this other, you know, hematite and stuff like that, where a magnet can be attracted to it. Just because it's attracted to a magnet doesn't make it a meteorite. Um, even stone meteorites with a powerful enough magnet can be attracted to the magnet because they do have little flakes of iron and nickel in them. Most meteorites will be able to hook to a magnet to some extent. So uh, that's one characteristic of a meteorite. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, another one, this is mainly found more on the stone meteorites, is what's called fusion crust. Uh, fusion crust is kind of this blackish outer layer that's formed as the material flies through the atmosphere, heats up and kind of vaporizes the outside. Um, that is um, basically why they, they look like that, kind of like a charcoal look. Um, 
then the surface cools and it gives you this black crust. It's a trademark of kind of a stone meteorite, especially a freshly fallen meteorite that just got to the ground. Um, so that right there is what's called fusion crust. Now, fusion crust is very fragile and it erodes over time. So the longer they're on the ground, you got wind, you've got erosion happening. It can actually make that fall off. Um, this one right here is the largest stone piece I have in the collection. This is from Northwest Africa. It's unidentified. Um, there's so much material that comes out of Northwest Africa, like Morocco, that they don't ID all of them. They just can't. Um, that's a really good way if you want to get a large stone piece on a little bit more of a budget is you can go to like a meteorite dealer and be like, I want a large stone and I don't care if it's identified or not. You can do like this one where you can get a big chunk of it for not as much as it would cost like to have a full identified slice. So now there's some questions here. Uh, any idea how big Oh, that we did that one? Um, an asteroid could become a meteor or a meteorite, but I suspect not all meteors come from asteroids. Most meteors are going to probably from the asteroid belt-ish. Um, it can, it's just rocky metal material that's floating around. So, uh, But yeah, it could come from that. So, uh, But most stone meteorites at some point have a fusion crust on it. Some of them, like Gold Basin, which is here in Arizona north, um, that's been on the ground a very long time. So the pieces that I have that are Gold Basin, a lot of them have gone through um, erosion over the years and the fusion crust has fallen off. Some of my bigger pieces have a fusion crust, but it's worn away in comparison to something like this or a freshly fallen. Um, thinking about the sample coming back from, oh yeah, Bennu, whether or not it'll be moon rock or like meteorite. I'm going to go. So the material coming back from Bennu, um, from Osiris Rex, I think is the mission. Um, I think it'll be moon rock esque but we'll find out it's on its way so that's the exciting thing um another thing you can do with meteorites which is kind of cool is microscopic studies so i have one slide that i bring out um so deep within most stone meteorites they're very olivine rich with different types of silicates um each type of silicate can refract light in different colors um and you can kind of understand the compounds and what build up the material um so what you do is you get a very, very thin slide. That's what it's called, a thin section of meteorite. Um, these are actually pieces of meteorite that are ground thinner than a human hair and put on a uh, microscope slide. And you can put that into a polarized uh, microscope. That's the trick on getting this to work is you have to have a polarizing microscope. Um, you can generally do it with most microscopes. Um, you put polarizing film underneath the carrier, and then I actually put mine, sandwich it between a UV IR photographic, just cheap filter, and then thread a really pretty decent polarizer filter from photography and thread that on encasing the sample. And then you can come up and you can actually rotate the po top polarizer and you can watch all the colors change in the meteorite. It's pretty cool. Um, not all meteorites can do it, and you'll have to be able to find a place that does the thin sections, which I do know a place that does it, um, but that's kind of a cool thing. Um, meteorites at home, there's a guy in Europe, oh, John Larson, he's down there, uh, Stardust Project. Um, he kind of came up with finding micrometeorites, which is really kind of cool. You know, plastic bag, a uh, good magnet, and a microscope. And a lot of times you can actually go up on your roof and kind of sweep all the dirt off or go through like the rain gutters, sweep all that material out. Uh, he tends to go to like places with a flat roof and sweeps the roof up. And then he actually sieves through all of that, looking for these tiny little spherical material. And these are itty bitty tiny iron meteorite pieces fall down through the atmosphere probably from vaporized material every day all the time there's probably some of this material on every rooftop in the world um but you should be able to find some of these little uh metallic spheres um you do need a microscope to kind of go through them but 
it's pretty cool because these are iron. They are attracted to a magnet. So you can go through once you, so basically how it works is you sweep all this stuff up, whatever material is up there, you put it through a sieve, you know, kind of shake it out. And then you run a magnet through all of that. And then you put it in a bag and then flip it out. And then you can take whatever materials there and kind of dump it out using a microscope. You can actually start digging through, finding the little sphericals, um, pieces in there. And that's kind of a micrometeorite thing. It's kind of a cool thing to do. I haven't done it yet. It's been something I've been wanting to do, but it'd be a good school project. I see someone does that with their students. Awesome. That's the way to do it. Uh, meteorites and outreach. Um, so this is how I got started all those years ago. It was just a little table with a handful of pieces. Um, I brought some magnets, some basic stuff. That's how it started. Just kind of real simple, half a dozen or so meteorites. And people started getting a big kick out of that. They thought it was cool. They come up and see all this stuff. Um, now it's kind of grown into what it is. So here's um, my hands-on meteorites. They're several larger pieces. Again, trying to get pieces that are kind of relevant or interesting to people. Whatever the story is, maybe it's local. I have a lot of meteorites that are local here to Arizona. So that kind of starts up the conversation that's like, oh, I know where that's at. That's near there or whatever. It makes it relatable. And I find that that's the best way to get started if you're doing a, a meteorite collection for the public is have something about it that's cool that doesn't take much of a conversation to talk about. This one, there's a lot of it. It landed in Argentina. It's heavy. You know, keep it basic. Whatever the case may be, make it something that's easy to explain that starts the interest quick. So again, this is where I started. Just a handful of little pieces. Um, I've got my hands-on stuff, which I really only bring out to colleges at this point. They don't come out that often. That's where my big pieces are. And then I have these. These are my meteorite displays. Um, some of you may have seen these. Some of you have not. Um, so over the years, I collected more and more samples because I thought they were cool, but ended up that they were just sitting in a box. They, I don't like having stuff that just sits. I love sharing stuff with people. So I came up with this idea to how could we make a mobile display case for the meteorites where they're safe, where we could show very rare pieces of meteorite, where they're not going to run off, but people can still see them. But they have to be mobile and you have to be able to see them during the day and night. So I started off with one. Um, it's just a modified SKB, kind of like a Pelican case, uh, guitar rifle S case. No foam in it. And then I had a buddy of mine who's way more savvy in setting stuff up, um, build them. I came up with the idea. He executed it. And then I wrote the, uh, the foam display um, inside there that tells you about all the types. And basically, I can just show up, open the case, power it on with all the LEDs, and leave them there. Um, the meteorites are underneath plexi glass their uh, meteorite uh, samples are hidden underneath the plexiglass so you can't get to them without a special a screwdriver and then all of them are mounted to a steel plate and they are mounted with rare earth magnets so they're all mobile i can move them around i can update them i can change them out anytime i want but they're all mounted to a steel plate via magnets and that's just enough magnetic pull to keep all the pieces where they need to go. I can't roll them or bounce them around too much because they'll move. But it's just enough to keep the pieces safe and where they need to be. But this is the original case um, that was built, geez, probably almost 10 years ago at this point. Um, and this one was so popular that I wanted to do a second one. So we built the second one. So now there's over almost 50 different meteorite samples that come out in these displays and they're mobile. Um, they, they light up and people can just walk up during a star party besides the telescopes. They can just walk up and learn about meteorites because the lids tell you the whole what's going on. Same information I'm telling you, the different types. And inside the case, it has all the descriptions of each one. So you don't have to sit there and talk at all. You can walk right up and you can learn the basics of meteorites and the different types right there. Um, and I find this works really well at a star party because it gives people, it's like having another telescope there. 
but you don't have to man it at all. Or if it's cloudy and rainy and it didn't work out, you have a plan B um, to show people something cool, even though you can't use the telescopes. So that's um, something that's kind of neat as well. Um, here's the whole display. Um, this is out at First Fridays, which is a big art walk in Phoenix. I used to do a few pre-COVID. Um, we would bring these out. People get to see the meteorites and stuff like that. They thought it was pretty cool. Um, and for the astronomers, yes, they we did think about star parties. They do light up in red um, as well. The LEDs go white or red. They are bright red. Sorry for anybody who's that's too bright, but the public loves it. And that when I go out, it's generally about the public and education. So it's more about the people, less about the astronomers. Um, so there's the whole display lit up in red. Anybody could do this too. You can easily execute it if you know what you're doing. Um, I do have a microscope as well, which is kind of fun. I hook it up to monitors. Um, here's another display. Um, but yeah, microscopes can be a good way of adding stuff as well and just exploring. So it really does bring things kind of full circle for a lot of people, especially if you're an educator or doing outreach. The fact that you can go through, look at a telescope, look at the moon, anything like that, and then come over and hold a piece of material that was in space. It brings it full circle. A lot of people get a kick out of that. And it's pretty cool just to see or have that. So um, a lot of people then ask, how and where do I get it? Um, these are the big sources that I have gone through to get really good meteorite samples. Uh, KD Meteorites is phenomenal. Um, Aerolite Meteorites, great. Galactic Stone is good because if you want smaller little fragment pieces and you're on a pretty tight budget, that's how I got started, was going through Galactic Stone. Um, Tucson Meteorites is really good. Um you can find pretty much something for every budget with these. Um, obviously, the bigger they are, they're going to cost more. But it's a fun thing to do and get started um, with all of that. So, but uh, yeah, so kind of finished a little early. But that's our intro to meteorites um, right there. Uh, they're really neat things to, to have. And if you're into astronomy, I would even recommend just if you've got something at home, just get a meteorite to have at the house for your desk or something. It's always a cool conversation piece. It doesn't need to be some big old thing, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Love the display case. Thanks. Uh, would you be able and willing to share the case design for science outreach? I can, I don't really have like a design for it. Um, we've actually changed them a couple times. Let me see if I can find, uh, what case I used. Um, so the first idea behind the cases here um, is they need to be able to house the meteorites safely. So I wanted a hard case. Um, I guess it can be 36. Let me see if I can find the case. It's been a while since I've bought these cases. There they are. Uh that has foam in it. Here's the empty one. So you can do this with any kind of case, but here's the ones that I have. So this is the, uh, wait, you need the screen. This is the case that I use. This is the 3614-6. So it's 36 inches long, 14 wide, six inches deep. Um, these work really well because they're three feet long. So you have enough real estate to do what you want. Um, in the case, lid when they're opened it's big enough to where you can mount a decent foam core display and writes up everything you're going to want to know because it's a lot of space that we need to it's a lot of information that we need to get across in a very limited space so that was the advantage of having a second case is case one tells you the basics case two goes into the subclassifications a little bit more so I have tried to do a smaller display case. Um, we were actually going to do one showing how elements were created, like gold, silver, platinum, and actually have examples of real gold, silver, platinum, and talk about how stuff like that was created in supernovas. I was trying to do a case smaller, and that was a very complex topic to be able to execute in a little tiny lid write-up. So... 
I find that the 3614s like this, if you're going to do one, you want it to be big enough to where you have enough pieces that you can display. You could display some big ones, um, but have enough display in the lid to get across what you're trying to tell people. Um, Cause you basically want it to be self-sustaining. Um, you don't want to have to sit there and answer questions. If you are standing there answering questions for people, that's a bonus. But the point is to just let it be self-contained and not have to be there at all. Um, so I find that these cases work the best. They are water resistant. Um, how ours work. Um, so that's the empty case. You buy it, no foam. Um, inside the case, um, in the bottom level down here, um, right in the lower section, we have all the wiring. Uh, there's a 12 volt 2.1 adapter mounted into the side of the case with a switch, three-way switch off in the middle, red or white. We can toggle the switch any way we want. Um, so all the wiring and stuff is done. And then the steel plate, which is wrapped in black fabric, goes in there covering all the wiring in the bottom of the case. And we have LEDs in the bottom and in the lid. So the lid, there is some wires that come up and jump up to the lid. And there's a long LED bar in the, the updated versions that use a diffuser so it's not too bright, but it lights up the display lid so you can read everything. And then the case has its own set of lights as well. Um, so the steel plate goes in the bottom, covering up all the wires. And then the fact that it's steel and it's covered in just black fabric to make it look nicer, but the fact that it's steel means the rare earth magnets can then snap to the steel plate. You can still move them around, but it, they're gonna stick pretty well. And then from there, I can either mount the meteorite piece or a case that has little magnets inside of it and mount that direct to the steel plate. And then from there, I can put the cards in and stuff like that, move them around and do whatever you want. Um, that's how I have those done. And then we just fold the lid down, lock it up, power off the lights, and you're gone. Um, for safety and to get them off the ground, um, I have these little, I bought them from like Staples or something, just these cheap plastic, white little plastic tables um, that has very heavy duty um, Velcro on it. So Velcro on the top and then the bottom of the case has the other side of the Velcro. So I can take the cases and they stick on top of these tables. So that way you can't just run off with the case and the case isn't loose because I have people touch them and move them and they would go sliding right off of a table if they weren't mounted. If I have a big enough table, like if I'm going to a school and I'm inside, I just bring the cases and set them on a desk. But for the field, we just have these little fold-up cheap tables. They're like 25, 30 bucks. Um, and the cases will Velcro to the top of those uh, little tables so they won't move and they won't go anywhere and you can't walk off with them. They stick pretty good. Um, but yeah, basically what we do is we come in for an event, we pop the tables up, take the case, stick it down, open it up, run the power cable. It just runs to like a Celestron power tank lithium battery. That's what I run them on and turn it on and they're done. I don't have to mess with the meteorites unless they got really joggled around and I have to go in and readjust them. But that's all it is. It's a 3614 SKB. The reason I like SKBs better than Pelicans is because the latches are nicer. They have these little spring-loaded buttons. You don't tear your hands apart like you do a Pelican. Pelicans are phenomenal, but for this, I like the SKB. But if you're thinking about doing one for yourself, you want to make sure there's enough real estate inside the case to showcase samples, pretty decent samples. You want it to be deep enough to where you could get decent samples in there, mostly slices and small individuals. My big ones are not gonna fit in there um, and they're too heavy and they're too hard to mount with that. But you want a case that's got enough real estate to show a variety of pieces and be able to get your point across in the display in the lid. Um, and you could do this for whatever. You do this for meteorites, you could do this for minerals, you could do this for um fossils you'd have to figure out how to mount minerals and fossils because they don't they're not magnetic at that point so that becomes more difficult but anyway if you want to do it 
I would get a case big enough and long enough to make it interesting. Um, if you don't have enough real estate in the lid, you're going to be really pressed to have room to tell people what you're displaying and talk about the topic that you want to talk about. Because if you don't, then it's just a case full of rocks that someone's going to have to sit there and explain. Where if you could set it up to where it's self-explanatory and you learn a little bit, that's great. And then if you are there and you know what you're talking about, it just exemplifies the case even more. Because you can sit there and talk and answer the more specific questions. But if you're not there, the case can still hold their own as well. So um, anyway, that's how I display them. The nice thing about them is the case keeps it safe. Um, you can show the really rare samples and people get a kick out of it, but they're not going to run off. No one's going to take them. And if they do take them, they got to take the whole freaking case with them. So, um, the cases keep that protected and that way your meteorite collection is actually out showing people what's doing, what's cool. But I will say if you're going to do a case like this, like I said earlier, you need to find pieces that are going to be stable or have them protected. So, if you're new to meteorites, make sure you talk to someone like your meteorite vendor, like KD Meteorites or Aerolite. Um, I want to use these for education. What are the most stable meteorites that I should look at? The last thing you want is to get something nice like these cases, build them, and have pieces that are just going to disintegrate because that's not cool. Um, so anyway... That's how I've done meteorites. That's kind of my intro to meteorites. Um, if you're ever in Arizona coming out to an event, please come by to an event and take a look at them, get an idea. I know there's some astronomy clubs locally that have looked into doing a similar thing. You can take the concept and do it whatever way you want. I just needed something that was field ready and SKB cases protect all of that. Um, you can stack them, they interlock with each other and it just keeps everything safe. Um, but then that way, ultimately, the meteorites aren't just sitting at home and you're just staring at them. I like to put stuff to work. I like sharing stuff. So I think it's, I like doing this better than just being like, here's my collection that no one ever gets to see. I'd rather go out and share it. So, but anyway, your mileage may vary. I don't have a breakdown showing how we built them. I kind of wish I did to explain it further, but that's the case that we used. Um, I've got two of them. Um, but yeah uh so yeah that's pretty much it for this week uh next week is our special guest um we're looking forward to having them on next week uh let me see i'm sorry let me pull some stuff up here real quick um so if you like what you see here at the what's up web class talk faster can i um, if you like what you see here on the What's Up webcast, please go ahead and subscribe, leave a like. Uh, next week, we're going to have Athena Frost on. Um, Athena is going to be joining us. She is she doesn't work for Fox Creative anymore. I should have changed that. Um, but she is a Griffith Observatory guide. She's worked in astronomy for a while. Um, and it'll be cool to talk outreach and public education and stuff like that with Athena. She'll be on next week. Um, so that will be awesome. Uh, so that's pretty much our episode for this week. Um, Please go ahead and do the totem. If you're an imager out there, you still have time to do the Skywatcher target of the month and get your totem patch. Uh, remember that it is, uh, oh, what is it? Here we go. If you go to skywatchusa.com, up under media is target of the month. You can learn about all of them. This week, this month is Abel 12, tiny little planetary up in the Hunter. Good luck. Um, I need to see what people are doing out there with that, but I'm excited to see what everyone is actually up to. And then, of course, if you need some Skywatcher swag, we do have the Skywatcher Threadless store. Um, we're always working on new shirts, so you can go over there and check that out. There's all the cool stuff there. Um, I'll find stuff that's got your setup on it. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much that. And then we are getting very, very close. We think we're less than, I think we're like 60 days away. But NEF, the Northeast Astronomy Forum, that is coming up in April 15th and 16th is NEF. Um, we are going to be there. We'll be excited to see everybody again. And, of course, in May, we're going to be at the Texas Star Party. We're excited to see everybody there as well. So if you want to come by, say hi. Our whole crew is going to be at uh, NEF and NEAC. So we'll be happy to see everyone again. Um, stop by, say hi. And then if 
yeah you got any other ideas let us know um, other than that please have a great weekend be safe um i think it's new moon weekend as well so if you've got clear skies get out there and do some observing take some cool stuff shoot the totem target um we'll be happy to see it and next week we'll be here with athena frost hanging out so clear skies everyone have a great weekend be safe and we'll talk to you next friday see ya bye <laughs>